Let's open the Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9, and we got down to verse 20. Through verse 20, bring you up to date on this ninth chapter, and we want to uh, try to finish it and briefly get into the tenth chapter because the tenth chapter has a lot of names in it. We'll skip over all the genealogy part of it and just go for the uh, kind of an overview of it. And the latter part of the chapter will teach more verse by verse, but the earlier part we will not in the tenth. But in the ninth chapter, uh, verse 21 is where we'll pick up. But let me go back and rehearse for you. If you'll glance back at verse 5, the latter part of verse 5 says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. Now then, we said uh, here that we need to thank God or bless Him because, and beginning with this verse, with the sixth verse, we have several verses that show out show us why we're to to bless God. And uh, verse six tells us He's the God of all creation, and we read we we preached on that. We brought you a message on that, and, and gave you some comments on that part. And then verses seven and eight, He's the God of all grace. In verse 9, he's the God who answers prayer. He heard their cry when they were in Egypt. In verses 10 through 12, he's the God of deliverance. He delivered them from uh, the Egyptian bondage. He's talking about the history of the nation of Israel. And he delivered them from uh, their persecutors in verse 11 and 12, 10 through 12. And uh, he led them by the cloudy pillar, by a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, all through their wilderness journeys. And we talked about how that that was symbolical of God leading us through this wilderness journey with His guiding light. His Word is our guiding light. The Bible says that uh, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so we have the, the Word of God and we have the Spirit of God to lead us throughout our wilderness wanderings in this world, this Egypt Egypt world. And uh, then verses 13, verse 13 t- tells us how he's the God of revelation, 13 through 14. He's a God of revelation. Verse 15, he shows us now that he's the God who supplies all of our needs, how he fed them uh, in the wilderness. He took care of them. He did wonders and signs and he did not forsake them. And verse uh, 16 through 18 shows us he's the God of long suffering. Verse 19 points out his many miracles. Verse 20 shows us how he gave also his Holy Spirit to instruct them and to guide them. And verse 21 tells us that they lacked nothing. So we'll pick up with verse 21 to show how they lacked nothing. That's where our point of entry is. Verse 21, Yet forty years, or yea, forty years, didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lack nothing, their clothes wax not old, and their feet swell not. God took care of them as they wandered in the wilderness for forty years. And uh, their clothes didn't even wear out. Some of us have some clothes that's pretty old, but forty years is pretty good wear out of a garment, isn't it? Especially in the wilderness, in the desert. And their feet swell not. You know, in the summertime and we talk about uh, conditions where you would have uh, your feet to swell. And we know even now you go down where it's hot and uh, sometimes you have a, a difference in your, the way you walk around. And your feet, you know, in the wintertime, your feet are smaller and they don't swell like they do in the summertime. And sometimes you can even wear a, 
a thicker sock in the winter and a thinner sock in the summer with your shoes or boots or whatever. But it shows how God miraculously took care of them in the wilderness. In verse 22, it says, Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations and didst divide unto them, divide them into corners. That means quarter by quarter or a, a land, adjoining lands when they entered into the Can, uh, Canaan's possessions. That God gave them special lands that were theirs. So that they possessed the land of Sihon, the land of king of, and the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Their children also multipliedst thou as the stars of heaven, and broughtest them into the land, concerning which thou hadst promised to their fathers that they should go in to possess it. Now, this is based upon the promise that God made to Abraham. See there? It says, God told Abraham he would multiply his seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand on the seashore. And here it says, concerning which thou hast promised to their fathers. Referring back to the promise that God made to Abraham. That they should go in to possess it, this new land, this land of Canaan. You know, God said to Joshua that every place that the sole of your foot shall trod upon shall be your coast. They were to go out and march across the land and take their possessions that that uh, God had promised them. And they had certain areas that they were to possess and divided unto them. And there's a whole story of that in the book of Joshua. Kind of like, you know, over in Oklahoma when they had the, the uh, land rush and they went all and got their sections of land. My wife's grandparents, they got their homesteads there and the old home place because when they, when they went in and uh, marked off their quarter section or a half section, depending on how much they were entitled to. So uh, they, they were to go in and possess the land of Canaan. And they were to do it by God's promise. In verse 24, So the children went in and possessed the land, and thou subduest before them the inhabitants of the land. God took care of the enemies, the Canaanites, and gavest them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they would. God made them complete authority over that land. He told them not to make compromises with them. And they did that, and they became as thorns in their sides because they didn't obey God's word in making compromise with the ites of the land, the Girgashites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and all the ites. And all of them they compromised with, and everywhere they compromised with them, they caused them trouble. And when you and I compromise with the ites of the land, or the, the Egyptians as well, we're going to find trouble. Of course, they... Uh, Old Pharaoh back in Egypt tried to get Moses to compromise with him, and Moses said, no, God will not have that. Remember the four compromises he put forth to to Moses? Pharaoh did. He says, well, you know, I know you want to go out of the land and worship God. You want to go three days' journey. You want to take your sacrifices. He says, you know, you can go... You can go to the edge of the wilderness. You can go a little ways. And then finally he says, you know, after another judgment or two came upon him, he says, well, you can go, but you... you you are going to have to return. You can't take your children, your families with you. And uh, Moses said, not so. He said, our families are a part of us. And then he says, well, you can go, but you've got to leave your cattle and your herds and your flocks in the, in the land. And Moses said, no, because we, we don't know what God will ask of us. And we'll take our herds and our flocks and our children, our, 
uh, every, all of our possessions, and we'll go the three days journey, typical death, burial, and resurrection, that we may worship the Lord. And uh, they wouldn't settle for any compromise. And he said, Moses' last word to Pharaoh was, there shall not an hoof be left behind, as far as that compromise is concerned. He said, we're going to take everything we have. So anyway, here... The children of Israel went in, possessed the land, and God gave them power over the Canaanites, all the ites of the land. Verse 24 is where we're studying. If you'll remember when uh, the spies came in and they came to Rahab's house, she, she already had said that the people's heart faint or fail because of you. It says, we've heard what you did, what God did to uh, the two that are mentioned here, uh, Sihon of the uh and the land of the king of Heshbon, that's verse 22, and, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. So these two kings are mentioned. And Rahab says, we've heard what you did over there, what God did to them. And says, God's fear is upon the people of this land. You know, if you can enter a battle courageously, you have 75% of it won. Uh, if you go in and know you're going to lose, well, then you're going to lose for sure. And, uh, you know, if you don't have the courage to fight the battle, you're, you're a loser already. And you better be convinced before you enter the battle that, you, that you're going to stick it out. You know, Jesus taught this same thing. He says, when you go to fight against uh, a king, he says, you better be sure you have enough to meet his force. He says, when you start to build, build something, he says, you better be sure you have enough to finish it. And he taught us those truths as well. Verse 25. <clears throat> And they took strong cities and a fat land, that means a, a prosperous land, and possessed houses full of goods, wells dig, vineyards and oliveyards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat, and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. Nevertheless, now look, we have studied all of these blessings. Let me repeat them. He's the God of creation. He was to be praised. He's the God of grace, verse 7 and 8. He's the God that answers prayer. He's the God of deliverance. He's the God of revelation. He's the God who supplies all our needs. He's the God who was long-suffering and merciful and led them thus far into possess the land. And now what? Nevertheless, look at verse 26. They were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets, which testified against them to turn them to thee, and they wrought great provocations. Now then, how do we accept God's grace and mercies and goodness? I'm afraid sometimes that even in this Christian world, people rebel against God and His Word, and those that would turn them to Him, and they provoke Him. In verse 27, Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies, who vexed them, and in the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors who saved them out of uh, the hand of their enemies, or deliverers. This is referring back to the book of Judges. I want to read the first part of, well, let's read verse 28, and then we'll talk about it. But after they had, had rest, or they had deliverance, they did evil again before thee. Therefore... Leftest thou them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them? Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies. If you study the book of Judges, it goes this way. They cried to God, and God delivered them out of the hands of their enemies. And then they turned away from God, and they rebelled against God, and God sent other ones to 
to uh, take over and possess them. And then they cried to God again. It's just one story after another. And he said, all of these judges, that's what the book of Judges is about. It looks like people would learn, doesn't it? It really does. And Israel of old, the first time God delivered them after they cried, uh, they should have known, well, now, this doesn't pay. And then they turn right back around and follow their, their idolatrous worship, and they'd fall into the hands of their enemies, and they would, they would turn away from God, and God would send these uh, chastisements upon them to cause them to see what, where they were, and yet they had to get to the end of their ropes and cry to God again. Now, you and I, in this day and age of grace, ought to learn a little bit from what is written in God's Word. In uh, the book of Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hopes. Might have hope. And all of these things that were written aforetime were so we could profit by it. Have you ever seen folks say, well, I don't study the Old Testament, I just study the New Testament. Well, if you study the New Testament, you're almost forced to study the Old Testament if you know anything about the New Testament. It just happens that way. Because in that Romans 15 verse 4, it tells us that what was written aforetime was written for our learning. It tells us to study the old. So in studying the new, it tells you to study the old. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us all about these things. It says all these things happened to them for examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. They were written for our admonition. All right, look at verse 28 again. But after they had rest, they did evil again. There's another kind of a theme that runs through the book of Judges. It says, in those days, listen carefully, and it's repeated over and over again in the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Which is usually wrong, isn't it? And if there's no king in your life, if there's no one that has complete rule over you, and we're speaking of the Lord, we're speaking of what He's taught us in His Word, we're speaking of His guidance, uh, if there's no one that rules and reigns over us, then we try to do that which is right in our own eyes and it ends up wrong, doesn't it? And then we end up suffering for it. That's exactly where they were. And time and time again, that is repeated. You go back and study, see how many times in the book of Judges that statement is made. In those days there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. All right, now look. The last part of verse 28. Verse 28 again. But after they had rest, they did evil again. Now the last part of it. And many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercy. And testifiest against them. Verse 29. That thou mightest bring them again unto thy law. Look at this. Yet they dealt proudly and hearkened not unto thy commandments, but sinned against thy judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them, and withdrew the shoulder and hardened their neck and would not hear. They stubbornly turned their backs. They withdrew the shoulder. Have you ever heard someone say, he gave me a cold shoulder? That's what they were doing to God. They withdrew the shoulder and hardened their neck and would not hear. Well, that's, that's really rebellious, isn't it? Look at those statements again. First of all, in the middle of verse 29, it says, Yet they dealt proudly. That's the first one. And hearken not unto thy commandments. Again. And then the third, But sinned against thy judgments. Skip the parentheses. 
and withdrew the shoulder, and hardened their neck, and would not hear. Yet, verse 30 now, Yet many years didst thou forbear them. God appealed to them, and they paid no attention. Yet many years didst thou forbear them, and testifiedst against them by thy spirit in thy prophets. Yet would they not give ear, they still wouldn't listen. Therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the people of the lands. You know, we reap what we sow, don't we? They, they, because of their rebellion, God says, okay, if that's the way you want it, and He let them suffer the consequences. I know that bad things happen to good people, but a lot of times the whole course of our life is not always all bad things happening. And if it is always, always bad things happening, we better kind of check up and see what's the cause of some of the things. I don't mean every suffering you go through or every sickness that comes upon you is a, is a chastisement from God. I'm not saying that because, you know, Job was a man that lived for God and shunned evil, eschewed evil. And yet, many things, the devil tried to do a lot of things to Job. But on the other hand, there are good times in your life. And sometimes we say, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? And it's just one constant, uh, sometimes we have a bottomless pit of needs. And we create a lot of them ourselves. We say, have you ever seen somebody? Now, this is just an example. And it, it works in all realms. The principle of it works in various things of our life. Have you ever seen a fellow that just blows his money all the time? I mean, spends every dime he gets. And they say, you know, I just don't have anything. Well, why didn't you keep just a little bit of it so you'd have a little bit of it? Why were you not? Why were you so reckless in spending every dime you got? And I don't mean by that that, that we have rich folks among us and that we, you know, uh, I'm just saying... God has made us good stewards in every avenue of our lives. That's just one way to illustrate it. In the same way, and as far as other things of our life, we do things to injure ourselves. We do things that are not healthy for us. And then we say, why am I so sick? You know, we go out and eat all the wrong kind of things and indulge in everything. A guy goes out and he, he drinks alcohol all the time and says, why is my liver like it is? Well, you know, your liver is going to get bad if you just keep on drinking. First thing you know, you're going to have a bad liver problem. And, you know, we cause a lot of injury. The Bible tells us that we have the, the, our body is the temple of God. It says if we defile this temple, Him will God destroy. And uh, so we cannot go around and be reckless in our living. And that's just an example of what we're talking about. The principle of it is all I'm talking about. The principle of it in our lives. Okay? Uh, in verse 30, Yet many years thou didst forbear them, and testifiest against them by thy spirit in thy prophets. Yet would they not give ear, therefore gavest thou them in the hand of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, for thy great... Now look. Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For thou art a gracious and merciful God. God appealed to them. They paid no attention. But God did not put an end to His erring people. Aren't you glad the Bible says in one of the Psalms that He had not dealt with us after our sin nor rewarded us according to our iniquities? Boy, if we got what... A lot of folks say, I just want what I deserve. I don't. I don't. Give me some things, God, that I don't deserve in the way of good and mercy. Uh, David, after he had sinned terribly, he said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to this Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. See, that's what we need. We don't need to be have what we deserve. Notice this statement again. For thou art a gracious, that means something we don't deserve, and merciful 
God. In verse 32 now, uh, from this point onward, the, he puts the past uh, to rest, and he looks to the, to the present situation. Now, therefore, our God... See, he wants to do something about all of this history that he's been recording of how they dealt with his mercies. And now he wants to put things in, in the present, the present situation. And so verse 32, when he says, Now therefore, O our God, the great, the mighty, the terrible, and the terrible God, who keep us covenant and mercy. They knew God was faithful in keeping his covenant. God was faithful in his mercies. Let not... All the troubles seem little before thee. He says, uh, <laughs> Nehemiah is saying, and the people are saying, we want you to consider that all this trouble, we don't want it to seem little before thee, that hath come upon us, on our kings, and on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all thy people, since the time of the, of the kings of Assyria unto this day. How be it? Thou art just in all that thou brought upon us. Again, referring to, to David's prayer in Psalm 51, he says that God is just, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. Psalm 51 again, in David's prayer. He says, God, you do all these things that you might be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. And he was speaking of judging himself. That. Here, Nehemiah says, Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us. For thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. We need to realize that God always does what's right. And many times when we're in the same condition, we do wickedly. Neither have our kings. Look at this. Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law. They haven't kept it. Nor hearken unto thy commandments and thy testimonies where... It with thou didst testify against them. The people did not pay any attention. They still did not pay any attention. We said that back in verse uh, 30. They would not give ear in verse 30. Now, they did not hearken here in verse 34. Sometimes it takes a while to get people's attention. God has a way of getting people's attention. God has a way of speaking to you and I. In the book of Job, the Bible says, God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. It tells about the outward things that God does, and then the inward, inward speaking that God does. First of all, he talks about the chastisement and the afflictions outwardly. Job does. And then he says, in visions of the night, when I'm asleep, and, and when I'm uh, partly awake, and when I lie upon my bed, he says, God's still speaking to me. You find God talking to you in the middle of the night? Sure he does. And he talks to you by his conviction of the Holy Spirit inside you. And he speaks to you and he helps you to understand. That's why I like to go to, to sleep with hearing God's Word. I have a cassette recorder right by my, a player right by my, on my nightstand. And every night, I've got a tape in there and I punch the button. I go to sleep listening to the Word of God. I have the book of Hebrews in there now. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's through verse 3. And you listen to that over and over and over again. And the first thing you know, you're like the psalmist, Thy word have what? I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
Or Psalm 1 says, In his law doth he meditate day and night. And what is the result? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his seed. So you'll be like a tree planted by the waters and drawing upon the waters that God feeds you and gives you through His Word. Alright, look at this. Uh, verse 35. For they have not served thee in their kingdom. They not only would not listen, they would not do right. They had done wickedly. Verse 33. They would not hearken to His commandments. Verse 34. And now they would not serve God. They have not served thee in their kingdom. And in thy great goodness thou gavest them. And in the large and fat land which thou gavest them, gavest before them, neither turned they from their wicked works. They still didn't turn. How long does it take you and I? How long does it take our nation? How long does it take our community? Well, you hear a lot of things being praised in the in the community. You hear a lot of things being praised in the in the state and in the uh, nation. And uh, this is not a political statement, but it's sad when our governor wants to legalize drugs. Sad. That's a bad thing. And uh, I even voted for him. I kind of liked him. But I didn't know he was going to do this. But you know, the thing about it is, it's sad when you get fellows that, that uh, do not have the stamina and integrity to stand up and do what's right. Someone says, well, they legalized alcohol and it made our nation better because we don't have the bootleggers and so on. Alcohol is the number one drug problem in the nation. That's it. And so, when you legalize drugs, as, as, as many different drugs as there are, they're going to be the number one. Possibly. I'm not saying they will. But as many as there are, it looks like they would just really take over. So, it's sad. For they have not served thee in their kingdom, and in thy great goodness thou gavest them, and in the large and fat land uh, which thou gavest before them, neither turned they from their wicked works. Now look at verse 36. Behold, we are servants this day, and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat of the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. The land that God gave them to rule and to possess and to enjoy, they became servants in it. Isn't it sad that God has given us all the freedom as Christians that we are, and we become servants unto sin? Paul says, you're bought with the price, be not ye the servants of men. He says also in Romans chapter 6, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. So let's realize that we're to put on the new man and uh, not let sin dominate our lives. Now look at this, verse uh, 37. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also they have... Dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. Reap what they sowed. The Bible says, whatsoever a man soweth, whatsoever a nation soweth, whatsoever a state, whatsoever a people soweth, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, verse 38. And because of all this... We make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes and Levites and priests seal unto it. Because all these things have happened, we want to make come back and renew our covenant, renew our vows. We want to make things right, and we want to make it sure. And we want to set our seal to it. And then 
The next chapter shows those who seal this new covenant, agreement, the confession of their sins, realizing what all they had done wrong, and the obligations of a new covenant come into view in this next chapter. Look at verse 1. Now, those that sealed were Nehemiah. He's the head of the list and the governor. And we're just going to highlight these. Look down in verse 8. These were the priests, the governor and the priests. Look in verse 9, the Levites. Verse 14, the chief of the people. Verse 28, and the rest of the people. The priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nephilims, and all that were had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law, unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. The rest of the assembly. Look at verse 1 again. The governor. Verse 8, the priests. Verse 9, the Levites. Verse 14, the chief of the people. And verse 28, the rest of the people. Look at verse 29. It says, They clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law. They said, We're going to put ourselves on record. Obedience to God's word. Look, to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and His judgments and His statutes. So verse 29 tells us they were going to be obedient. This new sure covenant and promise and oath, they were going to be obedient to God's Word. Now verse 30, they were going to set high moral standards and they are going to make no affinity with the people of the land. God had told them not to do that and they are not supposed to do it and they agree upon it. And that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. See, they're renewing what they should have stood by all along. Now, verse 31. Reverence for the Lord's day. And if the people of the land bring ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath, on the, the Sabbath or in the holy day, and that we would uh, leave the Sabbath year and the exaction of every debt according to Sabbath rules and regulations of the Old Testament. Now, we're living in the New Covenant and in the New Testament era. And we have a new day of worship. Since Jesus rose again on the first day of the week, the disciples assembled with Him on the first day of the week. And the second time He appeared to them was on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. The New Testament Christians assembled on the first day of the week. Paul preached to them on the first day of the week. Acts 20, I believe it's verse 7. Maybe verse 8. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 20, quickly. And that way I won't be mistaken. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, listen, when the disciples, and by the way, the word disciples here means saved ones. These are the real disciples. These are the born-again disciples. It says, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples or saved ones came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Now, I'm not going to go quite that long, because some of you are already yawning. So anyway, the first day of the week, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the Old Testament, and the first day of the week is the Lord's Day, and that's the day we worship the Lord. But still, we ought to be consecrated to reverence uh, the Lord's Day. Now then, uh, look at this in verse 32. By the way, in verse 31... And the exaction of every debt, this was brotherly attitudes. Reverence for the Sabbath and brotherly attitudes. Verse 32, Also we made ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of the shekel for the service of the house of God. The law required 
the half shekel in Exodus 30 verses 10 through 16 required a half shekel. But there are many reasons why we find the third part. A lot of people have said that by this time the third part would equal the half part. You know, maybe inflation took, took over. But I don't know all the reasons, but there is a reason and there are several speculations why it said here the third part instead of the half shekel. Now then, in verse 33... It says, for the showbread and for a continual meat offering and for a continual burnt offering of the Sabbaths, of the new moons, for, for the set feast and for the holy things and for the sin offerings to make an atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of, of our God. So this was set aside for the things of God. And notice it was to make an atonement, to make a covering, to cover our sins, to make a covering for Israel and for all the work of the house of God. In verse 34, And we cast the lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God. There's no mention earlier of a wood offering. But you know, with all the sacrifices and all the wood that was taken to, for burning and that, that was needed, uh, evidently it involved that kind of an offering, the wood offering, to bring it into the house of our God after the house of our fathers at times appointed year by year to burn upon the altar, see, of the Lord our God as is written in the law. Now, verse 35, and to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit uh, fruit of the tree, all trees year by year unto the house of the Lord. And the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle as it is written in the law. See, God not only wants the best, but He wants the first. God will not be satisfied with anything other than the best of our lives. He will not be satisfied if we give Him the leftovers of our life. He just won't. He wants the first. He has a right to the first. And He says that's what should be given to Him. And the firstlings of our herds and of our flocks to bring to the house of our God unto the priests that minister in the house of our God. Now look. And that we should bring the first fruits of our dough and of our offerings and the fruit of all manner of trees, this verse 37, of wine and of oil unto the priests to the chambers of the house of our God and the tithes of the ground of our ground unto the Levites that the same Levites might have the tithes of, in all the cities, in all our tillage. This was intended for the priests and their support. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites take tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes unto the house of our God to the chambers into the treasure house. The what? The Levites. We might say they're equivalent to the New Testament uh, ministry. And they were to bring a tithe of their tithes. You see, the preacher, it, whatever you give me to pastor... I'm to give a tithe back. And if I cannot give my tithes, I should not expect you to give yours. That's the way it's set up. You have a lot of churches that the preacher takes everything that comes in. I mean, it's all his. And uh, maybe pay the few of the light bills and a few of the other things. But that's not the way it works. He's to get his wage, and he's to give a tenth of that back to the church, to the Lord's work. And the priests were just as the Levites were just as obligated to give their tithes as were the people to give the tithes to them. And notice, it was to come unto the house of our God to the chambers into the treasure house. And boy, we get on a touchy subject now. Storehouse tithing. You know where your tithe is to go? Tithe is to go in the church. 
tithes to go in the house of God. Someone says, well, I give to this radio preacher or this uh, TV preacher. Give that his special extra offering. But your tithe belongs in the house of God. And uh, the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, if you want to give extra, that's your business. But your tithe belongs in the house of God. Now then, uh, in verse 39, For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn and the new wine and the oil and the chamber, unto the chambers where they where are the vessels of the sanctuary. And the priests shall, that minister and the porters and the singers and we will look at this last statement. We'll close. And we will not forsake the house of our God. We will not forsake the house of our God. Now then, uh, over in the 13th chapter, I believe it's verse 11. Flip on over to the 13th chapter. Verse 11. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? I've heard preachers take this as a text and say, Why is the house of God forsaken? And they're talking about their attendance. That's not the subject. The subject is, why is the house of God forsaken? Because of people not giving what belongs to the house of God. That's the subject. You know, we can take scriptures and twist them around any way we want to, but nevertheless, the truth lies in the Word of God. The truth is here. You know, have you ever heard preachers take First uh, Corinthians 16, verse 1, and say, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered, that there be no gatherings to, till I, when I come? And say, that's the tithe? No, it wasn't is a special offering for the poor saints of Jerusalem. But Paul told him to lay it by on the first day of the week so he wouldn't have to take up a special offering. That's what it's about. If I'm going to preach on tithing, I'll go to Malachi chapter 3 or Hebrews where it says Abraham gave tithes even before the law, didn't he? And we go back and we find that uh, Jacob promised God a tithe. This was before the law. Someone says tithing is under the law. No, it's under grace. It's under grace. They paid tithes in Levi, but they gave tithes in Abraham. Abraham gave tithes and Isaac and Jacob. Jacob promised God that he would give it. Uh, he says, of all that you give me, surely I will give the tenth unto thee. And that was before there was ever any Mosaic law, before the law entered into the uh, relationship with God's people. But anyway, that's a whole other preaching and a whole other message. I trust we've gotten a few things out of these two chapters. Let's stand.